But yeah, let's get started. Um, welcome everyone to uh, another session of our series on theologies of transformation and actions for justice. Uh, we have not met in a few months. Uh, the last time we met was in the month of July when Pastor Jay Fast gave a reflection on our fifth interfaith action principle of peacemaking, uh, where he explored the rich concept of shalom, uh, the role of lament and the challenge of peacemaking in a world filled with violence. Um, so that was that was a wonderful reflection uh, and, and discussion following. Uh, tonight, we are going to be discussing our sixth interfaith action principle on the protection and preservation of our common home. And I was mentioning to Pastor Sal before that it's wonderful that this conversation is happening during the season of creation, which is from September 1st through October 4th. Um, Interfaith Action provides a resource uh, for the season of creation, sort of a weekly guide to listening to the voice of creation um, if you're interested in jumping in, but that resource can really be used year-round if, if it's of interest. Um, and then I'll also just throw in that um, a good companion to that is our Green Faith Action Framework, which connects our values as people of faith to environmental actions. So very practical action steps in regards to the environment. And I'll post those in the chat here in a minute. Um, but um, before we keep on going, I wanna introduce our, our speaker for this evening. Um, we have the privilege of welcoming the Reverend Salvatore Sapienza to give a reflection on the sixth uh, interfaith principle. Uh, pastor Sal is the pastor of Douglas United Church of Christ. He's a graduate of New York University an all-faith seminary in New York City, a former Catholic monk, and an ordained interfaith minister with privilege of call in the United Church of Christ. Um, I am going to read, read our principle together so we can all have a look at it before we start. Can, I, can everyone see this? All right. We advance the value of our common home, the planet. We affirm that God owns creation. We are renters and stewards of our common home. Dominion belongs to God. We believe we as a people of faith have a bedrock commitment to the protection and preservation of creation, countering the threats of climate change and investing in individual and collective practices and policies that create a healthy future for the totality of our environment. In our stewardship of our common home, the planet, we are burdened by the reality that climate change most dramatically impacts the poor, the marginalized and the migrant. So uh, a lot in there, uh, Pastor Sal, grateful that you're gonna unpack that for us uh, and welcome. And, and thank you everyone for joining. Um, I'm so uh, grateful to have received the invitation and the opportunity uh, to speak with you all this evening. Uh, as Stephen mentioned, I'm the pastor at the Douglas uh, United Church of Christ which is down in the Saugatuck area of West Michigan, such a beautiful place uh, where we experience God's creation all around us. Uh, we are so proud to uh, be a part of Interfaith Action. And we're so proud last year to receive the Green Faith uh, Community uh, Certification from Interfaith Action. Uh, that means a lot to us. Uh, our church is very involved in issues of creation. Uh, back in 2017, our church uh, became designated as a creation justice church. This is a national organization, Creation Justice Ministries, 
and it sees caring for creation as a justice issue. Uh, so as you know, in order to receive the Green Faith Community Certification from Interfaith Action or the designation from Creation Justice Ministries, uh, our churches have to demonstrate all the things we're doing in our church and in our community uh, to care for the environment. And so we have a very, very active creation team at our church. Uh, just this past Saturday, for example, uh, they led us in a beach cleanup of Oval Beach here in Saugatuck. We were joined by our friends from All Saints Episcopal Church in Saugatuck, which many of you know is also an interfaith action, green faith community. Uh, and together we cleaned up the beach. We picked up more than 50 pounds of trash on Saturday. Uh, and then the next day, Sunday, yesterday, uh, the sermon at our church was given by uh, Dr. Deborah Reenstra. She is a professor at Calvin University, and she's written a wonderful new book called Refugia Faith, uh, and it is all about uh, caring for the planet. Uh, we, as Stephen mentioned, our church, uh, like many churches, uh, during this time is celebrating the season of creation. And so every Sunday, we've been focusing on a different theme of creation. Now, I share all of this uh, with you to begin with, because uh, as Stephen mentioned, uh, tonight we're talking about that sixth principle uh, of uh, interfaith action, and it's our common home, the planet. Um, and yet I have to say that as a Christian pastor, I'm often very dismayed because I find that many Christians fail to see a connection between their faith and caring for the planet. Uh, a recent poll of climate change deniers, the people who think climate change is a hoax, uh, it found that 98% of them also identify as Christian, 98%. Now, why, why do you think that is? I mean, why does an overwhelming majority of climate change deniers, why are they Christian? Why do so many Christians in this country see a disconnect between their faith and caring for the planet, our common home? Well, I think that some of this is political. Uh, white evangelical Christians in this country tend to be more concerned with protecting the economy than they are in protecting the environment. And they seem much more concerned with protecting our borders than protecting the planet. So an oil pipeline or a multi-million dollar housing development, they believe that that's good for our nation's economy and strength. And that for them takes precedence over any damage that may be done to God's creation. Mahatma Gandhi once said, Earth provides enough to satisfy every man's need, but not every man's greed. And the other reason that I think many climate change deniers are Christian is due to fundamentalism and biblical literalism. Science has disproven so many of the stories of the Bible. So if you 
understand those, those stories in the Bible literally, well, then you must think that science is wrong. So in the Bible, for example, we hear the creation story, but science, of course, points to evolution. And that doesn't fit with the fundamentalist narrative. So for them, science must be dismissed. Religious beliefs trump scientific facts. But you know, religion and science need not be mutually exclusive. Uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, science deals with facts. Religion deals with values. The two are not rivals, they're complementary. And Carl Sagan once said, the notion that science and spirituality are mutually exclusive does a disservice to them both. Now, I believe in science, and I also believe in God, a God who dwells with us here. Many Christians, though, believe God is up there. They believe the whole point of our being here is to get up there. And therefore, all that's here can be used up because this isn't our true home. That is. That's what they believe. And they believe that the God up there will renew the face of the earth. It's God's job to do that, not ours. And they believe the God up there affects the climate, not us. And they believe the God up there gave us dominion over the earth, meaning we could do whatever we want to it. But they confuse the word dominion from the Bible with the word domination. Domination means to conquer, but dominion means to govern, to care for. We are called to be caretakers of God's creation, to be good stewards, which means to be God's stewards. We're called to be guardians of the garden, this beautiful paradise, this Eden, which God has entrusted to our care. Diana Butler Bass is one of the leading progressive Christian writers today. And in her book, Grounded, the subtitle is Finding God in the World, a Spiritual Revolution. In that book, she calls upon people of faith to shift their perspective from God up there to God right here. And in the book, she writes, Christianity has imprinted a certain theological template that God exists far off from the world. The role of religion, therefore, is to act as a holy elevator between God above and those muddling around below in the world. Because of this, she says, church has become a struggle for me. I found it increasingly difficult to sing hymns 
that celebrate a hierarchical heavenly realm, to recite creeds that feel disconnected from life, and to find myself confined to a hard pew in a building with no clear windows to the outside world. This has not happened because I'm angry at the church or at God. Rather, it's happened because I'm moving around in the world and I've begun to realize how beautifully God is everywhere in nature, in my neighborhood, in considering the stars. It took me five decades, she says, to figure it out, but I finally understand. The church is not the only sacred space. The world is profoundly sacred as well. And thus I fell into a gap, she says, a theological ravine between church still proclaiming conventional theism with a three-tiered universe and the spiritual revolution of God with us. I love that. I love that so much. I believe that revolution takes place when more and more of us begin to shift our view of God from vertical to horizontal. We begin to see God in everything, in all of creation. When we begin to understand then that when we hurt the environment, we're hurting God. You know, every single time there's a climate disaster happening in the world, a disaster of our making, we see so many Christian leaders calling us to prayer and to pray to God to fix what's happening. And you know what I think God would say in response? I think God would say, you're responsible for it. You fix it. And that's why it saddens me that a majority of Christians in our country today have little concern for what's happening with the environment. They don't see it as a faith issue, and they don't see it as a justice issue. A recent Pew survey showed that just 6% of Christians in our country say their religious views influence whether they think there should be stronger laws protecting the environment. Only 6%. Now, we feel very differently. We, the Churches of Interfaith Action, and I know in my denomination, the United Church of Christ, we actually have someone whose job title is the UCC Minister for Environmental Justice. That's his job. His name is Reverend Brooks Barrett, and he says that because Christians are less likely to believe in climate change, they're less likely to mobilize around issues of environmental justice. I believe that we as people of faith, we have to shift from that distant God of conventional religion and experience a more intimate sense of the sacred that is with us in this world all around us. I believe that's what Jesus was trying to teach us. He never said God was up there. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here and now. God is here. God is in the world, in the soil, in the water, in the sky. 
God is everywhere in the world all around us. We are here to protect the sacred, to honor the mother, the mother earth. We dishonor her when we turn a blind eye to issues of environmental justice. I believe it is our duty as people of faith to care for the environment. And part of that duty is to make our voices heard, to speak scientific truth to blind faith. And we also make our voices heard by attending town hall meetings and by writing our political leaders and by taking to the streets and protests as we did a few years ago with the People's Climate March. That's part of how we evangelize. I'm so grateful to be a part of a green faith community, a creation justice church, and to be a part of interfaith action for all of the good work that our faith communities in Southwest Michigan are doing to educate, to inspire, to challenge, and to motivate people that our common home is here and now, and we must do all that we can to be good stewards of it. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Sal. Uh, wonderful reflection, um, a lot in there. So thank you for that. Um, at this time, I'll turn it over to the group um, and ask you all for your thoughts or any uh, reflections or questions for, for Pastor Sal. Uh, let me start off. Uh, the statistics uh, relative to uh, the percentage of Christians who are climate uh, deniers is, is quite disturbing. Uh, it somewhat uh, parallels other research that indicates uh, the more likely someone is to be a weekly attender of worship services, the more likely that person is to be a racist. So how how do you, uh, in both your pastoring and your community leadership role, uh, seek to be this uh, minority voice, uh, to be a counter voice to, uh, at, at least within uh, a Christian context, uh, um, perhaps a majority of uh, Christians, both around uh, is issues of the environment and, and other uh, justice issues? That's a great question, Sid. I think a, a big part of it is visibility. You know, I think it's very important that we as a church are doing uh, things to care for the environment in our communities. So I know here in, in Saugatuck and Douglas, People see Douglas UCC cleaning up the beach. And when they drive along the highway, they see the sign that says, this highway adopted by Douglas UCC Church. Um, and uh, they see us at the People's Climate March. And I think it's true, not just for issues of the environment, but you know, it's important for people to see someone with a collar at a gay pride parade, or to see a church taking part in a Black Lives Matter march. 
you know, again, this is how we let people know that, that there's not a disconnect between our being people of faith and these issues of justice. I think so much of it is really being visible in the community. Uh, there are so many wonderful churches who are hearing very inclusive and progressive messages on Sunday, but I'm not sure how visible that is behind their church walls. Um, so I think community involvement is so important, and that's why we're grateful to be part of Interfaith Action, because you're all doing such amazing things out in the community. Good evening, everybody, and good evening, Pastor Sal. What a what a joy to be in your presence uh, again, even uh, if only through Zoom. Thank you for that inspiring message. Um, I, I agree that presence in the community is important, um, and I think. Uh, the same is true of Judaism as of Christianity, um, despite the fact that mm -hmm. as Jews, we are committed to the notion of tikkun olam, repairing the earth, and, and yet too often that message gets left um, in the synagogue and not brought out to the community. So I know it's happening um, in Douglas and needs to happen more often in lots of places. So thanks for that. Thank you, Larry. So good to see you. Larry and Sandy uh, came to our church in Douglas before COVID, did a wonderful workshop uh, for us on the beautiful book uh, that they wrote, uh, Building Bridges Across the Racial Divide. Uh, we still talk about your visit and uh, how much you inspired us. But again, just like you said, Larry, it's about being out and visible in the community. We still talk about it too, and about yeah. how much you inspired us. <laughs> Thank you. Liturgically, our faith communities have not promoted the sacred texts that that speak to environmental justice. Um, uh, I think it's why we encourage folks to consider some of the liturgical uh, resources in uh, the, the season of, of creation um, as a way of communicating both through words and symbols, as Pastor Sal indicated that uh, this is our joy, this is our duty, this is our accountability at, as people of faith, as, as people of God. And, uh, as the universal faith community looks at this period in September as a season where we reflect on our accountability, uh, putting a pitcher of water on the table in front of a worship space or a bowl of fruit as as symbols of our connection uh, to all of creation. And uh, uh, so as Pastor Sal has indicated, it, it's both that visibility outside the walls of the worship space, but it's also uh, 
messages and symbols and uh, and songs and poetry inside the worship space to equip folks for the work outside. And I, I fear the faith communities have neglected that preparation. Yeah. Um, yeah, Larry. I'd, I'd like to um, ask Pastor Sal to talk a bit about what, what I think is a dilemma at, as of the present moment. When people are worried about sky high gas prices, people want the prices to come down so we can pump more gas. When people in Europe are worried about not having enough natural gas to survive the winter, they are going to be fixated on the economic issues and climate issues behind um, as less immediately important. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, that's a very good question, Larry. It is, you know, it's people are, you know, and rightfully so concerned about the uh, their pocketbook and, and the, the price of things. And, and uh, but yes, I think for us to be able to uh, educate people, I mean, I think that's part of our role uh, in, in, in caring for our common home is uh, to help educate people. And I think when we educate people on um, electric vehicles and, uh, you know, those kinds of things to kind of let them know that this is happening. This is a, this is a very real thing that we're going to be seeing more and more of. And, and, uh, and this is the future and, uh, and to make it kind of maybe less scary for people um, uh, and to show them, I, th I think we need to be people of hope and to kind of show them examples of things that are happening, you know, around the world uh, uh, with electric vehicles and, and, and so on. Um, but I know, I, mean, I, think, I think the big issue is that it seems so overwhelming. You know, people feel like, what can we possibly do? Is it too late, you know, to, to make any change? So I think that hope, instilling hope in people uh, is, is really, really important. Um, so, um, and, and that's, you know, a, 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 another plug for uh, the Refugia Faith book is uh, she, uh, the author is calling us to become communities of refugia, which may be a new word for you, but, but places of refuge, places where there's, there's hope and light and, and, and growth. Uh, and, and if we have a lot of little communities of refugia, um, we can really affect change. I very much like the idea of using examples where things are happening that are hopeful. I'd like to say, you know, it's interesting that for us Christians, the Psalter has been part of one of our main prayer books. Um, and there's so much about creation, but we never we sort of connected that we need to preserve this creation we need to respect it and um, encourage it, respect for it. Uh, we just sort of take it for granted that God created it all and 
for us to use as we want to. Um, and I think we could take some um, tips maybe from the indigenous communities that often had a greater respect for creation and the natural world than many of us have had. Um, it, we sort of took that phrase in the creation story, you know, and man has become dominant over creation. And, and we sort of like, well, we can use it and treat it the way we want to. We're just beginning to realize that much of our treatment of creation was destroying it, ruining it, polluting it, instead of respecting it. So we need, when we read those Psalms, we need a, yes, God created it and we must respect it. You're so right, Mary. Thank you for sharing that. There's so many beautiful Psalms that have to do with creation. Uh, we sing about them uh, as well uh, in our churches, but yes, there seems to be a, a disconnect between what we're saying and singing and then what we're doing. But you're so right. Native American spirituality is all about seeing God in everything, the rivers, the mountains, you know, the stars. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from, from them. Well, something I wanted to uh, to talk about as well um, is that the, the latter half of this principle, uh, we talk about how climate change most dramatically impacts the poor, the marginalized, and the migrant. Um, in Michigan, most the most polluted communities also tend to have the highest levels of poverty and the greatest disparities in health outcomes. Uh, in the coming year, Interfaith Action is going to be focusing our attention on these vulnerable communities from a comprehensive environmentalist, environmental justice perspective, in part using uh, what's called the, the New Michigan Environmental Justice Screening Tool. Um, I could say a little bit about that. Sid, would you want to say anything about that tool and, um, and it's it's uh, potential for exploring some of these environmental uh, issues and, and bringing those to a policy level? Uh, uh, sure, uh, we're, I think, very grateful that the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy has developed this environmental justice uh, uh, screening tool, which is able to uh, evaluate census tracts throughout uh, our state. And it evaluates census tracts uh, around 26, uh, I think, indicators of, of well-being. About one third of those are related to traditional uh, environmental factors, uh, potable uh, water, uh, polluted uh, streams, agricultural runoff. About one third are uh, related to health outcomes, uh, 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 mortality, uh, low infant birth weight, uh, maternal uh, and child deaths, those kinds of indicators. And then the remaining third are related to socioeconomic uh, factors, unemployment uh, rates, percentage of persons living in poverty, uh, housing affordability. And uh, those are then aggregated uh, to be, and uh, local census tracts are scored as to their level of vulnerability. Uh, 
And the, the findings in, in general, uh, these need to be looked at at specific uh, communities, but in general are that the first communities are the most polluted uh, communities, uh, are the communities with uh, the greatest disparities in uh, health outcomes, uh, greatest disparities in uh, income and other uh, well-being uh, factors. And of course, I think, Stephen, as, as you were commenting, I was reminded that the CIA about a year ago uh, indicated that one of the primary threats to the security of the globe and the security of uh, the U.S. US uh, is climate change prompted migration and that uh, individuals uh, will be forced to migrate uh, because of uh, drought, because of economic uh, despair, uh, because of uh, hunger and uh, will move to different parts of the globe which already uh, may be experiencing overpopulation, uh, creating uh, widespread anxiety and fear and potential violence. Uh, so to your point that uh, uh, climate change does trigger uh, migration, does trigger uh, further in entrenchment of uh, despair and disadvantage. Well, and, and like I said, uh, in, in the coming year, that is going to be a focus for us. So if you are interested or if someone you know might be interested in, in, uh, in joining that work and participating, uh, please let us uh, or I know um, as we connect uh, faith to action in that way. Are there well, any other, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sal, uh, without having read the book Refugia, it seems to connect uh, to the premise of the book as uh, uh, you've indicated to us uh, that uh, we, we are called to be places of, of refuge, places of uh, hope, uh, places of, uh, of well-being. Yes, absolutely. You know, I wasn't really familiar with the term refugia. She explains at the beginning of the book how uh, it really came about uh, after uh, the Mount St. Helens uh, volcanic explosion, if you remember uh, so many years ago. Scientists thought that it would take generations for there actually to be some life or some growth there. And actually, it just took a few years. They were really surprised but there were these little pockets where things would sprout and grow. And, uh, and so her message for us is that, yes, we can be those little pockets of, of hope and growth. Uh, uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I love the term and it's really a, a wonderful book, uh, but I'm so grateful. There's so many really wonderful writers who are writing uh, about the environment from a faith perspective. And of course, I'm grateful to Interfaith Action. I see Stephen has shared in the chat there, the season of creation resources that Interfaith Action has created, and they're wonderful. And so I, uh, I hope people will, will use them in their faith communities, uh, readings and 
and, and song ideas and, and decoration ideas and, and all of that. Well, um, I'll share that I was struck by that uh, quote from Diane Butler Bass uh, asking the question of what if we viewed God as being everywhere all around us and not only viewing our faith community as, as sacred spaces, but the whole world around us, uh, how differently we might act. So um, thank you for your, your reflection and your message to us this evening and for uh, this wonderful conversation um, with all of you. Our next uh, program is in the month of October, and that's actually going to be with uh, Dr. Tatiana Reynosa, who's here on the call. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, that's going to be on our principle of uh, migration and hospitality. So please join us for that. Uh, look for an email with the Zoom link. Um, but thank you all for your time this evening, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next month.